Good morning, everyone. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. The scripture text that we will be looking at this morning is Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. This particular passage can be found on page 499 of the Blue ESV Bibles. Those are located in the back pocket seat cover in the seat in front of you. As always, those Bibles are available for you to take home if you do not already have one. Once again, we'll be reading Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 55. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation he has shown strength with with his arm he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Thus says God's word. Thank you, Raven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this season. God, we thank you that um, we have a season that that we can celebrate God the the birth of Christ, the incarnation, his coming to us, his the word becoming flesh. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that, um, Lord, what we celebrate is actual human history, a human drama that was played out with, with actual human players, God. So we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that, that um, after... Many, many generations of longing, you fulfilled your promises through Christ. That all of your promises were yes and amen in Christ. And we thank you for that. Lord, we pray that you would prepare us to hear the word, Lord. You, you, you spoke in, in the Gospels about many types of soil representing hearts and their ability to receive your word. And Lord, we, we know from that parable that None of us can receive your word unless you till up the soil, unless you remove the rocks, unless you uproot the thorns, God. Unless you make us good soil. And so, Lord, that's exactly what we're asking for today, that, that we would re- become good soil and that we would, we would bring forth a harvest for your glory. Lord, I ask that for myself, Lord, that I would be a, a worthy servant of you, that I would be able to preach in a way that pleases you, God, despite all of my sins, despite all of my shortcomings, all of my failures, Lord, that I would proclaim your gospel clearly and accurately, Lord God, and that it would be the, for the blessing of your church. I thank you for this in your name. Amen. You can be seated. So Ginger and I were having a conversation the other day, and we were talking about how that, um, and this is, this might freak some of you out, so just brace yourself, because I know sometimes, you know, as as evangelical Christians in America, we get really uptight about Christmas, and we were talking about Christmas, and I made this honest confession to her, and I said, 
I said, you know, I kind of like some of the cultural elements of Christmas. I like the, the songs and the lights and the, you know, all the, you know, brightness of the season, you know, and, and I, I, even when it's not over-spiritualized and stuff, and obviously, don't misunderstand me, I clearly know that this is the season of the incarnation and stuff, but, but man, sometimes we just need to lighten up and, and enjoy life, you know what I'm saying? Just have, have a great time with, with the joy that, that our culture, you know, is having. And, and, and so it, kind of on that thought, I was thinking about different things like this, but sometimes there, there, there becomes a, a thing that gets introduced into the culture that isn't just, you know, it, it's, just, it's not just simply harmless or overly spiritual. It, it, it becomes kind of has a spiritual veneer, but if you closely examine it, it's actually kind of harmful. You know what I'm talking about? You know how, how things can, can happen like that? There was a case like this about 30 years ago. Um, a new Christmas song was introduced into the public. It was like, it, you know, it kind of took the, the music buying public by storm. It had a haunting melody and these thought-provoking lyrics, and it made it an instant hit. I mean, this thing just exploded. And the lyrics of this song are a hypothetical conversation taking place with Mary. And, and you know, obviously the mother of Jesus, and, and the song is about her insight into Christ's majesty and his destiny in the moments following his birth. You guys know the song. It's called, Mary, Did You Know? And it's been recorded by a ton of Christian artists, not to mention people like, like Kenny Rogers and Carrie Underwood and Dolly Parton. And, uh, and so the, just a sampling of the lyrics, Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? That sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Now, obviously, I take no issue with the fact that the baby was the Lord of all creation, that he'd someday rule the nations, that he was the perfect lamb, that he was the great I am, and take no issue with that. Mark Lowry, the writer of the lyrics, says that these are the questions he would ask if he could sit down for coffee with Mary and just say, hey, let's talk about that thing that happened in your life. And the song poses an interesting question. What exactly did Mary know about Jesus' life and his purpose before he was born? Or as she held him in her arms? Did she have any inkling at all of the fact that he was God and that he was her redeemer? And if so, what impact would, have, would, would that information have had on her life? How would the knowledge that she had dictate how she related to him on his way to the cross? What impact would the truth about the baby she'd given birth to shape her own future? Now, spoiler alert, this is the issue that I take with the song. The Bible is absolutely clear that Mary knew. So the answer to every question asked in the song is, yes, I knew. That's the answer. She knew quite a bit about the magnitude of what had happened that night in Bethlehem. It also shows, the, the, the Bible also shows something interesting though. But it shows that while she knew exactly what was taking place, she didn't know every detail. But what she didn't know, the Bible is clear, that she entrusted to God's wisdom and faith. 
Now, why do I say Mary knew? Because this is the way the Bible introduces us to this person named Mary, probably a very young teenager uh, in, in the, the day that the, that the angel visited her. This is how the Bible introduces us to her. The angel Gabriel comes to her and, and, and makes this announcement. Do not be afraid, Mary. What do you think angels are like that every single time we see them coming to somebody, the first words out of their mouth is, don't be afraid. <laughs> People always have these beautiful little, like very soft, very feminine uh, angels uh, images in their house. And I think they're missing that by about a mile because every, every time someone sees an angel, they drop to their face and, and the angels have to say, hey, get up, don't be afraid. So the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. How many of you know Mary knew quite a bit? But then it gets even better. When she came up pregnant, her betrothed, Joseph, considered divorcing her for her supposed unfaithfulness. But one night, an angel appeared to him in a dream and said this, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now get this, which means God with us. Mary knew. Joseph knew. They knew a lot. But what what did, let's, let's break it down a little further. What did Mary know from these angelic announcements? Let's list out the things. She knew that her child would be great, that he would not be common or ordinary, that he would be the son of the Most High, that he would be God himself reigning on David's throne to be the king of Israel and subsequently the king of the world, and that his kingdom would never come to an end. She knew that his birth would be divine, that the Holy Spirit himself would place Christ in her womb. Even, and have you ever thought about this fact? Even if the whole world questioned it, even if there was a great scandal, even if no one else knew she was a virgin, she knew. That's not the kind of thing you forget. She knew she was a virgin. She knew that her child's name would be Jesus. It was told to both her and her husband. And the result of his life, this is the, the, the real, the, 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 the powerful thing, that the result of his life would be the salvation of his people from their sins. What an, She knows a lot, right? Furthermore, think about it. The story gets bigger. The night he was born, shepherds showed up at the place where she was with the child, and they were telling, hey, guess what? Another angel came to us. And and then after that angel showed up, it was followed by a host of heavenly beings. They were visible and singing praise in audible voices, declaring that the newborn child was the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. 
Well, if that's not enough for you to convince that she knew, on top of that, on the day that she took the child, to the, we talked about this last week, to the temple for circumcision and the purification ceremonies that were required of her, an old man named Simeon and a prophetess named Anna both confirmed what the angels had told both her and Joseph concerning the supernatural destiny of this child. And then, if that's not enough for you to convince you of what Mary knew, Mary took Mary and Joseph took a 12-year-old Jesus to Jerusalem for the Passover. And on their way home, as you'll recall, they got separated. Parents didn't think it was any big deal. They just thought he was with another family in their caravan. And they headed home to Nazareth. But after about a day, they noticed they still had not seen Jesus. So they got a little worried, as most of us would have. And they went back to Jerusalem, and they searched and searched far and wide for three more days. This child ditched his parents for four days. Four days. And finally, they found him, not, you know, at some arcade or some, you know, you know uh, playground. They found him in the temple. And, and he wasn't frightened. He wasn't like, Mom, Dad, I was looking everywhere for you. He wasn't frightened. What he was doing, he was talking, and he was questioning even the wisest men in the temple. And, you know, you can imagine mom and dad are wits in and they, they kind of rebuke him and they say, they say, why did you worry us like this? And Jesus, I love this. I love this story in such a matter of fact way. Jesus answers like this. Why were you looking for me? Can you imagine? Now, now don't, don't all religify this up. Imagine your 12 year old child has been missing for four days. And he shows up, and you show up, you find this child, and the first words out of their mouth is, why were you looking for me? Why were you looking for me? And Jesus says, didn't you know that this is where I have to be? That I must be in my father's house. I'm telling you, Mary knew. She understood all the things, all of these things rather, made her child unique there's no doubt the scripture is clear. He was perfectly human, but he clearly wasn't ordinary. She saw in these events that he was unique, that there was not another person who had ever lived that was, that was his equal. Now, that's not to say that she perfectly understood it all. When the shepherds arrived and told of these angelic visits, and when Jesus spoke of the necessity to be in his father's house, the Bible says that his mother treasured all these things up in her heart. In other words, she had to think about him for a while. After Simeon spoke to them in the temple, it says that his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. It means that they pondered these strange occurrences, that they didn't forget about them, even if they couldn't fully understand them. And their remembrance would give them confidence to see that the Lord had given them the great privilege to be a part of a drama that was way bigger than themselves. When Jesus turned water into wine in John chapter 2, his first miracle, it was clear that his mother knew that he was capable of doing something about the problem at hand before the miracle occurred. And she told the servants at the wedding, before Jesus acted, they, she said, do whatever he tells you to do. How many of you know that's pretty good counsel even for us, right? Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Later, though, as Jesus' fame and ministry progressed, we see some of this idea of what Mary may not have fully understood. 
She worried about him. There was a time in the book of Mark where uh, she and, and, and Christ's siblings heard that Jesus was so busy preaching, so busy performing miracles that he wouldn't even take time to eat. And she worried about him. She, it, the Bible even gives us this, this awkward detail. It says that, that her family thought that he'd lost his mind, that Jesus was out of his mind. And so they, they came to get him and they were going to make him slow down. Now, wrap your mind. If you understand the human and divine nature of Christ, understand what I just said. They were going to make him slow down. Uh, let me just remind you, if you're not familiar with the, the intricacies of who Jesus is, Jesus was God. <laughs> she might have been tempted by her familiarity with him. I mean, she changed his diapers, for goodness sakes. She might have been tempted by her familiarity with him to think that she knew better what Jesus needed, what Jesus should be doing. Man, I'm, I'm a little convicted by that because Sometimes I get so familiar with Jesus, I think I know better what he should be doing. <laughs> Am I the only one? She might have thought she could keep him from overextending himself in some damaging way that caused her to fret, but she couldn't. Like everyone else, Mary would have to come to the point where she looked at this child that she gave birth to, look at him and call him Lord and submit to his power, submit to his wisdom. And Christ's later story gloriously tells us that she did this. She was at the cross with Jesus. She was in the upper room when Christ sent the Holy Spirit upon the church. See, when it comes to things of the Spirit, you and I also are often trapped between what we truly know and what we don't know. And the temptation for us in those moments is to either doubt what we do know or to try, try to fill in the blanks of what we don't know with our own imagination. And neither one of those things ever works in our advantage. If we let experiences of loss or mystery or the opinions of others or the drift of our culture cause us to doubt what God has clearly revealed about himself, us, or the world we live in through the Bible, we will become foolish and unsatisfied. Paul talks about a world system that argues with God, defying his truth. And, and, and looking at a world system like that, this is what he surmises. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. As Christians, we can't be afraid of what we don't know because Everything necessary for our salvation has been revealed to us by our Heavenly Father in the Word. Everything. There's not some secret knowledge that you have to obtain to figure out what God wants for you. It's all right here. In black and white and depending on your version, in red, I guess. He can be trusted. God can be trusted because He's given us everything we need to know. He can be trusted with everything we don't know. Amen? Why worry about things we can't understand about eternity, about election, about the nature of the Trinity, or the exact details of how this world is going to end? 
We, we studied this verse just a few weeks ago, just a handful of weeks ago. Psalm 131 verse 1 says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. Similarly, on the flip side of that coin, if we try to make sense of everything by the vanity of our imaginations, we'll undoubtedly come to wrong and even potentially dangerous conclusions. We can do this when we try to explain away the plain language of Scripture with Darwinian theory or pop psychology or or we see everything in our culture as politically expedient. But see, I am not suggesting for a moment that Christianity is a religion of ignorance. It, It most clearly is not. But it is a religion that acknowledges that none of us knows everything completely or perfectly. Can we all at least agree on that? We don't know everything completely. We don't know everything perfectly simply for this reason. God is God and you and I are not. And so he says in the, in the, in the scriptures, he says, my ways are not like your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Paul cried out in Romans, Paul, the greatest theological mind since Christ, and and still to this day, just because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the greatest theological thinker ever. And this is how he ended his great treatise on, on, on salvation in the book of Romans. In chapter 11, verse 33, he says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. Those, the unsearchable and inscrutable means that they're past finding out. You, God will reveal things to you that you can know absolutely for sure, but you will never figure out all of God, ever. It occurred to me one time, I thought, you know, I wonder why God gives us an eternity to be with him. I wonder that. I wonder why he didn't say, hey, you know, you accepted Christ and as a reward for obedience i'm going to give you a hundred years after after death to spend in heaven man what a glorious reward that will be but that's not what he did he gave us eternity you know why because if you had one second less than eternity you could never fully understand god so we should have the fullest confidence in those things that are revealed in scripture we should boldly dig deep into the bottomless truth of God's word. But we should never reject God's word because some outside source claims to have outsmarted the Bible and called it outdated. Or because we can't wrap our finite, fallen brains around every nuance of the truth that has been revealed. Paul again, Romans 3 says, Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. We, We should be, let me put it to you like this. We should be satisfied with being unsatisfied when it comes to obtaining every answer to God's purposes and plans in our day-to-day lives or or in understanding the deeper mysteries of the world or of His Word because He's already fully and clearly revealed what most concerns us in Christ Jesus. So, back to the story. So here's Mary, a teenage girl living in a time when a premarital pregnancy resulted in much more scandal than it does in our day. She's confident that God is up to something. She's confident that she's carrying the one who will fulfill everything he's promised to the human race all the way back since the Garden of Eden. But what 
does she do when she's faced with unknown details, with allusions to a future that might be hard or painful, even in the most in the midst of the most tremendous promises? What does she do? Well, according to our text today that Raven read us, she worships. She turns her heart towards worship. She doesn't now. now we have a, a, a very shallow concept of what worship is. I am not saying that Mary simply sang a song or went to, the, to listen to music in the temple courts that made her feel a little bit better. What I'm saying is she fully embraces all she knows about this child growing within her. And she breaks out in praise in a song that has become known to us as the Magnificat. It's Latin for magnifies, taken from the first line of this beautiful song that she sang. Mary had gone, the the setup is this, Mary had gone to spend time with her cousin, Elizabeth. Elizabeth was very old, and being very old, she was barren. She couldn't have children. But guess what? By another angelic proclamation, ladies, be very concerned if you're a little older and an angel ever shows up. Because... She was also, Elizabeth was also miraculously pregnant at the time with a guy you might be familiar with named John the Baptist. And something really cool happened when Mary greeted Elizabeth when she came to to spend time with her. Luke says that the baby within Elizabeth, John the Baptist, leaped for joy and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, another great confirmation of what God is doing, Mary began to worship. She breaks out in praise with these words, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Everything within her magnifies. Think about what you do with a magnifying glass. Everything within her saw God as bigger than she had ever imagined Him. She had every reason to be scared. She had every reason to be concerned. But trusting God, what did she do? She rejoiced, she laughed, she delighted in God, her Savior. But God, what I want you to see is that God was not just using her as a consumable. He wasn't using her as some tool that he was going to use and just throw away. He, what God was doing is he was honoring this young teenage girl to participate with him in his plan for the world. She says as much in the next verse. He says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And I'm happy to report that with this sermon that I'm preaching this morning, we're proving this scripture to be true. Because we're still talking about this blessed young lady. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Though she was... But an unmarried peasant, the Savior would be born through her. And she gladly submitted to the vocation God had appointed for her life. After hearing God's plan for her, um, she didn't look at Gabriel and say, "Um, Excuse me, sir, I think you have the wrong house. I think you're looking for the teenager that lives next door. She didn't say that. Listen to what she said. It's beautiful. We We should say in every prayer we ever pray like this. She said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I want to have the same willing heart when God calls me to hard things. Don't you? 
But I also want to realize that any way he uses me that results in glory for his name, it is a blessing. Not to the people that receive whatever benefit from the way he uses me, but it's a blessing to me. It's a privilege to be a vessel that is useful in the master's household. After all, hasn't Christ given everything for me? Has he withheld anything for me? No. He gave everything. He gave up his home. He gave up his life. He spilled his blood. But not only did Mary see the personal honor bestowed upon her by the Lord, but she recognized that with the birth of this child, something was happening that would change the way the world worked. Listen to what she says. And she said, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Mercy would be granted through this child to those who feared the Lord those who honored and believed in him, those who were waiting for him, those who were outcast by the religious elite would be exalted. Those who were hungry for righteousness could feast to their heart's content and they would know God's strength. That was only one side of it. At long last, justice was also coming. The schemes of the proud would be blown away. The mighty tyrants would be ejected from their thrones. The rich would be deprived of their delicacies and they would stumble away hungry. As the desperate were rescued, the arrogant and the oppressive would be punished. But this prophecy wasn't fulfilled immediately in the ways that they thought it would be in the overthrow of Rome or the exposure of the hypocritical Pharisees. Jesus took aim... And this is so wonderful. He took aim past all those temporal earthly powers to the most oppressive tyrants of all. The tyrants of sin and shame and hell and the devil and even death itself. By dealing a fatal blow upon these enemies, Christ won for himself the elect granted to him by his father from among the very least, from among the poor, the broken, the scorned, the guilty, the ashamed, all of those who call on his name in faith. And when he, and with this, he began the glorious triumph of the covenant of grace. Man, what a great day to be alive. Amen? And speaking of the covenant, Mary did one last thing. She recognized everything that was transpiring was made in fulfillment of the promises made long before that her people had been waiting to see. Listen to how she says it. She says, He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and, his, and to His offspring forever. This was no... What, what, what is Mary saying here? She's saying this was no last second, last ditch intervention on the part of God. 
But the long-awaited culmination of ancient promises, ancient prophecies, God had spoken to Adam and Eve. God had spoken to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God had spoken to David. And now the time had come and the kingdom of God was knocking on the door. At long last, what had been longed for so long was here. Luke 10, 13, Jesus is alone with his disciples and, it, and he says this to them. He says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and didn't see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. People often say, man, I wish I could have seen the Red Sea split or Elijah go up in a whirlwind. All these things may have been wonderful, but you are living in the best time. You are living in the time where, where there is, as we sing at Christmas time from the, from the hymn of the angels, that there is peace on earth and goodwill toward men because of this child. It's the best time to be alive. The promises have been fulfilled. Mary may not have understood all of the mechanics of how God would bring about the rescue of his people in keeping with his covenant, but she knew he would. And she knew her baby was the key to everything he promised being fulfilled. Light was overtaking the darkness. The, the old battle cry of the Reformation, post-tenebras lux, after darkness, light. And this was the age that was dawning with the birth of this child. She didn't know everything, but what she knew caused this deep fountain of worship to burst forth from her innermost being. God had been good to her. He was saving the world from the tyranny of sin and death. And he had proven himself to be faithful to his promise. And her soul shouted, Amen. Amen. You and I are in many ways right where Mary found herself. Right where she found herself. Though many of us know the love of God and, and we've experienced his salvation, we're daily dogged by questions for which, if we're honest, we have no answers. And we feel ourselves living on the precipice of a great mystery. How can we manage living in such a tension? Well, take a tip from Mary. Let what you do know of the love of God, of the mercy of Christ, of the power of his rule and the promise of his return to be to you a solid foundation against storm winds of ignorance and uncertainty. And don't neglect the scriptures. I, if I had one plea for you, for your future, for your discipleship, for your faith to survive, don't neglect the scriptures. Because, see, it's within the Bible's pages that you find out what is true. It's there that you encounter Jesus Christ who said, I am the truth. So read it. Memorize it. Meditate upon it. And you will become confident in its promises even when you don't have all the answers that you think you need. Can you stand with me? Let's pray together. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who has 
revealed yourself, if you hadn't revealed yourself, we never would have known you. We never would have figured you out. But you loved us and you gave us your word and you gave us the progressive revelation from the time you walked with Adam and Eve in the garden to the time you revealed yourself in your son. We thank you for that. So Lord, we may not think in these terms often, but together with the body of Christ, I want to thank you for what we know. I want to thank you for the things that you've revealed to us, like the things you revealed to Mary, the things that we know, that we are confident in, the things that we are grounded in and rooted in. Thank you for that. But Lord, it would be short-sighted for us to not acknowledge that there are many things we don't know. We don't know what the future holds. Either the immediate or the distant future, we have no idea. We don't know if we'll be alive tomorrow, God. We don't know what the future of our country is. We don't know what the future of, uh, of you know, our families and church and all of those things, God. We don't know that. We don't understand deep mysteries of your word, God. There are things that are hard to understand, even as Peter confessed about Paul's writing. But Lord, we're not going to concern ourselves too much with those things because there are things we know. We know that Jesus is Lord. We know that he was born of a virgin. We know that he died for the sins of the world. We know that he rose again in glory. We know that he ascended to power at the right hand of the Father, and we know that he is returning for a church that is without spot or wrinkle. We thank you for all of that. And Lord, let the confidence, the the firm ground of what we know carry us through what we don't know. God, fill us with hope. Let us look to you and you only for satisfaction. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would place your hands in a receiving position, I want to just pronounce this quick benediction over you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, amen. You're dismissed.